Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hi and welcome to What Should I Think About? I'm Stephen. And I'm Celine. And today we're speaking to Lizzie, who is an online creator and health coach and business owner of Undiet Yourself. She grew up within the Amish community and has since left and we're going to talk about her story today. So welcome to the show, Lizzie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I guess let's just jump straight in. And I was just going to ask, um, could you tell us about your story from the start in the sense of how you grew up first? And we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up Amish in Ohio. And um, there's different orders and sects of Amish. And the one that I grew up in is like... I always say it's like kind of like you're on the lowest of the potem pole. <laughs> there's like you're there's different levels of like what you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And we were like at the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. Those where I grew up, they're called sports and trooper Amish. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure where they got that name from, but they all have their own name. So there's okay. sports and trooper and then there's old order, new order. And there's many different levels even in between that. And we were Swartz and Trooper. And that means that we had as little, like we were, didn't have literally anything modern. I always say like, it's almost like you're still living in the 1600s, even though I don't really know what they did in the 1600s, but it's (laughs) like, you you don't have any indoor plumbing. You don't have anything modern as far as even tractors. You don't have any tractors. You ride in a horse and buggy. you know, farming, gardening, and then a lot of rules. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, so different. I mean, to give um, the listeners an idea, because it's, it's quite a private, I guess, community in a lot of ways. Could you talk a little bit about, like, for you personally, what a day would be like? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up on a farm, and, and that's pretty common for you know, especially in that order mm-hmm. to live on a farm. Although since I've left, left um, a lot of people have transitioned into other things because farming has not benefited them as much as mm-hmm. far as relying on that for their income. Because mm-hmm. where I grew up, they that was our income, farming, milking cows, raising beef, chickens, gardening, you know, all the, all the fun stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so a typical day for me would be getting up in the morning, going to the barn, milking cows by hand. There was no machines. You had to do everything by hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my brothers. So I have eight brothers and 10 Mm -hmm. sisters. So there's 19 kids in my family. Um, So my brothers would then take care of the rest of the, the feeding the animals and the farming there. And um, me and my sisters, we would take care of the chickens and, you know, that kind of like lighter stuff in a way. Um, And then we would have breakfast. Everybody sits down at the table and eats breakfast. And then you go about your day. Um, Mm -hmm. And it depends on the season, right? Mm -hmm. So like in the winter, it's really cold. Um, There's not going to be as much like, there's not going to be farming as far as like in the fields and that stuff. But then there's all all the um, winter stuff as far as we preserve our own meats. So mm-hmm. we would butcher in the winter. We would do our, mm-hmm. our hogs and our beef because it was cold because we don't have refrigerators yeah, or freezers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And those are things that a lot of people don't think about is like, oh, like you, mm-hmm. you didn't even have that. So how mm-hmm. did you preserve your stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so winter time was preserving your meat. So we would butcher all our own stuff mm-hmm. and then can it, preserve it. And it goes in the, in the cellar where it's nice and cool. Um, and it stays well because it's sealed. Um, mm-hmm. So it could be that. And, and as far as the women go, like we may be doing um, quilting and sewing, like winter was like, this is where you make all your clothes. So you would do sewing Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, baking, cooking, yeah. where, where I grew up, we, we can't, and a lot of stuff to sell. Cause we had a lot of customers that would come to our house to buy. So we had three to 400 laying hens and that was how we made some income. Mm-hmm. So we would sell hundreds of dozens of eggs. And if there was too many eggs, we would make noodles and sell those. So, no. <laughs> you know. They're very resourceful. Mm-hmm. So very busy every day. Yeah, <laughs> very busy every day. Mm-hmm. Very resourceful. Like you don't. There's there's never a day where you're like, what am I gonna do? And there's mm-hmm. no there's no TV watching. Like mm-hmm. your there's no TV, so it's like mm-hmm. okay. So your pastime may be reading a book, um, mm-hmm. but work comes first. So you you would read a book either in the evening before you go to bed or Every afternoon, right after lunch, they would have a little bit of downtime. So maybe you'll read a book then. Um, but there was no, there wasn't lounging around unless it was the Sabbath on a Sunday. So I know you mentioned a few things that you weren't to do, or like you didn't have um, fridges, or like why you didn't have certain things. So I was going to say, um, what was the reasoning for that? But maybe a better question is, what was like the beliefs and the ideologies? Because that will probably lead us into why you didn't do certain things. So kind yeah. of, yeah, what, what was it, the ideologies and the beliefs um, when you were growing up in that community? Yeah, so they believe that the more that you can stay away from doing like what the modern world does, anything that's, that's really advanced and um, electronic, like that's, that's evil in their eyes. And that's mm-hmm. to them, the way that they believe is God doesn't, wouldn't want you to have that because that is sinful um, or may lead you like to more sinful things in your life. Um, And so the way that they believe is the more you can stay away from that um, and live a more simple life, that's the way that God would want you to live. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you start and that, that goes a lot deeper, too, in, like, the rules that they have within the church as far as, like, how you're allowed to clothe yourself and mm-hmm. what your clothes should look like, that kind of stuff. But um, it's very um, – what's the word? They they really rely on the orders of the church mm-hmm. more so than – and listening and obeying to the church than what they would as far as, like, what God's actually telling them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about, you know, abiding to the rules of the church. Okay. So could, could I ask Lizzie what, what they, so obviously you, you've explained that the, the idea is that you keep away from the modern way of life and the modern things, because if you keep away from that, you'll be closer to God. So what's the mentality for that? How's the reasoning come in? So what, what are they, why are they saying that? Is there any explanation as to why that's, you know, like having a fridge doesn't sound like a particularly worldly or ungodly thing it's just Mm -hmm. convenient so what what's the thinking there must be a a sort of reasoning behind that right um those were actually a lot of questions that I asked my mom when I was growing up because I I was curious I was always the curious one so and she never she never really truly had answers for me because she didn't know um I recently watched a documentary though on like where they actually came from and sort yeah. of like the break off. So they're, they're actually break offs from the Swiss Anabaptist. And yeah. there was a guy named Jake, I think Jake or Jacob. That was like the main guy that like, like wanted to go over here when they separated. Um, and that documentary actually taught me a lot. I can't remember everything that sure. they said. Um, but it was one group wanted to go more modern, which turned into more like Mennonite, um, yeah. which 
you know, drive cars and all that. And then the other group was like, no, we're going to stay over here. And I don't know if they even know everything Mm -hmm. that, why they believe everything that they do other than this is the way that God would want them to live. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't have a clear answer on that because I've never been told why that reason is. Which is Um, is fascinating in itself, isn't it? That, that, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're growing up in that community, but you're not, you're not clear about why you're doing certain things. I guess it's, it's, it's about tradition and it's about keeping the, the way of life the same as it, as it has been for, you know, for many, many years, I guess. Yes. And they believe that that if that's where you're born into, then that's where God wants you to be and where you should stay. And Mm -hmm. so if you break away from that, um, that's when it's like, it's like death to them. If you, it's like someone died, but you know, I think about this a lot because I, I asked my mom one time, there was this lady that would come to, to buy um, food from us and she was really, really nice. She had really short hair and we're not allowed to cut our hair either. Mm-hmm. Um, but she always talked about, you know, her faith in God. And um, I asked my mom one time, cause they believe that that's the only way you get to heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I asked her one time, I was like, so just because she cuts her hair, she, she won't go to heaven. And my mom's answer was, that's just the way it is. Mm. And mm. I was not okay with that. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe in a God like that. And I just don't, I, I, I can't fathom. There's way more non-Amish people than there are Amish. So that would mean this small portion of people, God would I only allow this small portion of people to go to heaven. Mm. I don't believe in that. Didn't make mm. sense to you. Mm. Mm. I really gave my mom a run for her money. She, <laughs> I challenged her a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you were like, um, so were you kind of fr- from quite a young age, very wondering about all these things um, that you had to do? Oh yes. Yeah. Mm. I, I think my curiosity started when I was like eight or nine and then mm. it just continued to grow um, was sort of the troublemaker and the black sheep of the family. And, um, even though I like a lot of my brothers got in trouble too, but I was like the one that was always pushing the boundaries. I have a twin sister, um, and she's still there, but I was always the one getting in trouble, not her. So mm-hmm. even if we did the same things, and got in trouble, I I was always the one to blame because I was usually the initiator. <laughs> so when you were when you were doing your your little day in the life of there, um what what about schooling when you were young? Did you um did you do any schooling with the with your parents or was there any schools in on site or in the in the village or Yes, they have their own schools. Mm-hmm. So they have a little one-room schoolhouse, and yep. there could be anywhere from 10 to 20 kids in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go from first through eighth grade. So that's all the education you get. Um, their uh, own people within the community are the teachers. So you can really only learn so much because they only learn yes. so much. But what they do... T- if you're planning on staying there, what they teach is really all you need to learn, right? Sure. So math, reading, English, um, spelling, and then we're, we learn German in school too. Mm-hmm. So technically we learn, we know three different languages. Which are? Pennsylvania, Dutch, German, and then English. Mm-hmm. Cool. In terms of like... Um, speaking at home is it that you speak uh like with your family and stuff would it be that you speak pennsylvania dutch at home and then english was like an additional um or is it a bit of both or no they strictly rely on pennsylvania dutch when it's Mm -hmm. within the community and they only speak english if it's to someone that doesn't understand it um 
So even if I go home and see my mom now, I it's it's a little harder for me to speak it now because I hardly ever speak it anymore. Mm-hmm. But she won't just speak English to me, so I have to um, mm-hmm. speak it back to her. And sometimes I just have to speak it back in English because it's not not coming easy for me, even though mm-hmm. like it'll never go away, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not not my first language anymore, mm-hmm. as or primary, I should say. Mm-hmm. Not not what you're in practice with all the time. Anyway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interestingly, as well, I was watching some of your like reels content, and um, I saw you talking about um, like doing things that you weren't meant to do. Um, so like you were saying, like listening to music or like watching a film um, or um, like, like having like a drink or something. Or could you talk a little bit about why you wanted to do those things, even though technically you weren't meant to be doing them? Yeah, absolutely. I think like most kids, when you get mm-hmm. incredibly restricted from doing certain things and you're always told no, mm-hmm. then you want it more right? And so it's not like we lived, like some people think we lived on a compound and mm-hmm. like just like lived in there. We didn't. Like I know um, there are certain religions that do that, but the Amish don't do that. They have their own land and in, in, in where we lived, um, there was no Amish people living right around us. Right. We, we were, a lot of people do, like a lot of people are next door neighbors are Amish, but mm-hmm. where I grew up, um we didn't which we always thought was a blessing because we got away with a lot of stuff so all of our neighbors were non-amish neighbors right right? right. and so we saw and we heard a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't have gotten exposed to if you didn't live where there was only amish people around you right Mm -hmm. and so you know we our where we lived our house was like I don't know, 20 feet from the road. And so there's constant cars. But you heard music when people were driving by. Mm-hmm. Um, we walked three miles to school and back every single day. You saw people that had TV just by like, oh, there's a TV on. You can see through the window. And they're mm-hmm. like, that's curious. What, what's that? Um, so we got like little snippets of exposure here and there and you got you became aware and then my brothers that were older than me they started listening to music uh, before I did so usually around 16 or 17 that's around the dating age that they start dating and then they some not everybody but some will start sneaking around with some of that stuff Mm -hmm. so that's what my brothers did and then so when I was 16 I got exposed to music um but it has to be done in secret. You can't, you know, if you if you get caught, you're going to be in big trouble. So we had we would have to hide to listen to music. So once you get exposed to it, you just you just want more of it because like, mm-hmm. what is this? So mm-hmm. you just keep oh, going. I got to know what what were you listening to, Lizzie? Nineties uh, country. That's what I got introduced <laughs> okay. to. <laughs> it's like it's funny now when I think about it, but that's what I got introduced to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I suppose. Um, so in terms of when you're saying like, um, you had to like do it in secret, or you'd be in in trouble. What's what's the situation if you do get caught doing any of these things? Do you just get told, you know, no? Do you have to do something to make amends? Like, what's the situation? So one, if we get caught, they'll destroy whatever you had. Mm-hmm. They'll take it away and destroy it. And then if you are in the dating age, so every every two weeks when they have church, mm-hmm. the the kids that are dating in the evening of church, they they get together and they sing and hang out and maybe you go on a date. Um, mm-hmm. You can't do that take that away from you for a few weeks and say you're not allowed to participate so that's your punishment Mm. okay well what was it like um i I was raised as a jehovah's witness um which obviously is very different sort of upbringing but the one thing that we were very conscious of was that we were different from everybody else um you know sometimes we'd have to go on the field service which meant 
knocking on people's doors around the neighborhood and I would have a little you know a little smart suit and a little tie um as a as a child which was you know obviously my friends at school would um tease me about uh, um dress and everything is is obviously one of the things that I think people know the Amish for is the fact they dress differently what does it feel like if you're a youngster feeling separate from everything else as you're walking to school or something like that could you tell us a bit about that experience yeah I think for me like I don't know what everybody else's experiences with that but for me um I was so curious about the world outside of what I was living in that I did recognize it within myself that that we were different yeah and um it it made me feel insecure and yeah. uncomfortable in certain situations. So like if you went to the grocery store and you had to get stuff um, or if someone like people will give you weird looks if they don't understand. I was say, how, how do people uh, treat you as well? That's another question. Yeah. yeah. In general, um, the people around there, they're familiar with Amish. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they're in general, like people are really, really nice. Um, but depending on where you went, if they weren't familiar with them, like you definitely would get weird looks like, mm. who are these people and where do they come from? Um, but I think that you're also so secluded that you don't, you 100% don't know what you don't know. So I feel like a lot of my insecurities that I had to work through didn't happen until after I left. Because mm. then I got exposed to, oh, this is the real world. Like, this, yeah. there's all these things that I have no clue about. And then, you know, shame and guilt and fear come in because you're just like, I don't know anything. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. I never really thought about that before, though, as far as, like, what I felt within that that specific question I was never asked that before so that was a good question <laughs> uh, yeah I, I suppose like that kind of um leads leads me into what I was thinking about in terms of leaving like um I suppose was there a moment building up to you deciding to leave or were you were you all of a sudden like oh it just hit you that you wanted to leave or, yeah what was that process like for you just internally it's a long process mm -hmm. nobody just wakes up one day and says I'm leaving mm -hmm. because where we are, we can't just tell our family, Hey, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we have to like behind the scenes, plan it, figure it out. And then on top of that, you don't have a lot of connections. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I want to leave, but how in the world am I going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that I started getting that feeling of I need to leave at some point, at least find out what I don't know at around 13. Mm -hmm. um, I felt this like kind of like fire inside of me. Like I, there's something more and I'm driven to find out more. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of things within the, the culture that led me to that, but that was around 13. And then my dad died at 15. So that, that really throws in a lot of um, other emotions mm -hmm. and, and feelings like, well, I can't leave my family now because this mm -hmm. happened. Um, but then things after that, like things start, start to progress. And for me, there was a lot of things within the, the church rules and then within the community that I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I didn't, I didn't, agree with the way that they view God and they, the way that they talked about God is if you don't do this, you're going to hell. Right. right. So everything's fear-based. Yeah. Mm. So if you don't follow the rules, if you don't, if you, your hair gets shown too much, if you get in trouble with the church because you don't, didn't follow the order. And then the way that the preachers and the Bishop would treat their church members and, I just felt like I don't believe in that kind of God. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that that's how he treats people. That was one thing that I didn't agree with anymore. And then two, 
I didn't want to be stay there and get married and just be a baby maker because that's <laughs> that's what the women are supposed to do. Um, and I was like, I can't do that. Like that's yeah. that's not for me. I just wasn't drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And then three, um, we had neighbors right across the street from us that were not Amish, and the Amish don't do public affection. So they don't mm-hmm. hug, they don't kiss, they don't say "I love you." There's no affection like that, unless you're like dating someone. You'll do that in private, right? So like I, mm-hmm. I never saw my parents give each other a hug, um, or a kiss, or say mm-hmm. "I love you" or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would see our neighbors do that. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, if I ever get married and I can't do that to my husband mm-hmm. and greet him in that way, then I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know at the time when I was thinking through all of that, that that was actually me preparing myself to lead to this journey of actually stepping away and leaping. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of the things that I that I was thinking, I just didn't understand, um, mm-hmm. like the whole reason behind it. Yeah, you had to like go through that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was seventeen. My twin and I, we were seventeen, and the two of us actually ran away for two days. Okay. And we were the first in the family to do it. Um, nobody else had ever done it. Um, it's common in the community, right? Yeah. But and I had cousins that that left. Um, I'm not saying like hundreds, but like it's not uncommon, mm-hmm. you know, sure. to hear that some someone in their teen, mm-hmm. later teen years left. So I had cousins that left, and occasionally I was in contact with them. Um, so my twin and I were the first to leave, and uh, we were gone for two days, and we were staying at my cousin's house. And um, one of our brothers calls the house where my cousin lived. And uh, my twin, that was back when like home phones were really common. Mm. Like cell phones weren't really a thing anymore yet. And she picked up the phone in the kitchen and I picked up the phone in the living room. And I didn't say a word. I just heard like listened to the whole conversation she had with my brother. And he was like, mom's not doing well. And just really like getting her emotionally and at the end of the conversation she was like I can't do this to my family you guys have to come pick us up um this isn't this isn't okay and so I was devastated because I knew that that's not the life for me and Mm -hmm. I can't live like that so but because she went back I felt like I needed to go back Mm -hmm. so I went back and the following day so of course like when you go back they treat you with royalty. It's like, mm-hmm. well, really? well, they embrace you with like, let's make you happy. Like, obviously there's punishment. Like you can't like go, you know, dating and do all of that stuff. But it's like, let's, um, let's make you happy. Right. Um, Cause it's like, what do we do to make you want to leave? Right. Um, and, but I told my twin the day after we got back, I said, I can't stay here. I will leave again. There is yeah. no way I can, I can do this life. And she's like, yeah, I'll, I know that I want to leave again too. So mm-hmm. fast forward six months later, we both got baptized within the church. We both were dating and, mm-hmm. and life just continues, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, no, that was like a year and a half later because we were 17 and we didn't get baptized until we were like 19, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and so I was a church member for six months. So you get baptized within the church and that's when you're a member of the church and you have to right. abide to the rules of the church more. Um, they have more control over you. I'm sure you're aware of that. <laughs> um, yeah. And within those six months of being a church member, I got to know the church more and how they, how they run their church and how they treat people and it was not good i was like this is not okay and so once again i didn't know how how i would ever leave i was dating someone and i thought maybe 
this is where I'll be stuck. But I always had this feeling in my heart that something was going to happen and I was not going to be there. I just knew that it wasn't forever. I just didn't know how in the world it was going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So it actually ended up happening really fast when I did end up leaving. I was in the middle of a lot of things that would have gotten me in trouble with the church and just sneaking around with a lot of stuff. Um, And I was working. So my oldest sister had just had a baby. And when they have babies, they hire a mate to come help them with the housework. And that's what I was doing with my oldest sister. And so I was actually at my oldest sister's house when I left. Um, Got in a lot of trouble with my brother-in-law. He thought he had the audacity to try to tell me how I should abide to the rules and, and behave in a certain way that other girls were behaving within the church. And why can't you be more like them? You know, what you're doing is not okay. And it really, like, it caused a lot of pain. Um, And then the following day after he did that, the following day, um, my boyfriend was from New York. And so we would write letters. That was our way of communication is writing letters to each other. So every two weeks I would send him one. So I'm walking to the mailbox to deliver my letter to him and I get to the mailbox and there's a note in the mailbox and it was from him. And the note was saying that he and his sister and her boyfriend drove down from New York the night before and they left basically said like we ran away. Um, I didn't know they were going to do it. They just left. And he said, um, if you want to leave, we'll come by tonight around 10 o'clock and we'll pick you up. Wow. If you don't want to leave, I'll come by another time and we can talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me two seconds. I snapped my fingers and I was like, <laughs> I'm leaving. I was like, I know this that is my moment. Yeah. moment. Like, yeah. And so I didn't pre-plan that, right? Like it was all just things that were put in place for me to then follow and leave, but it, I still had to make that decision, mm-hmm. right? So it was put there for me to leave, but I still got to make a decision, like, do I leave or not? Because mm-hmm. my twin sister was getting married six months later, and I knew that. And I had to ask myself, do I stay another six months so that I know that I can be at her wedding, or do I leave and say and know that there's no chance that I will be at her wedding Mm -hmm. after I leave because I knew that once I leave I'm not going back I just knew that like some people leave I had an older brother that left two months before that and he just left to leave and go explore and then he went back like Mm -hmm. I knew that if I were to leave there's no chance I'm going back that was it Mm -hmm. so I left and said see you later (laughs) (laughs) did you did you like say anything to them that you were leaving or did you just you know go at 10 o'clock that night and and just go with your stuff (laughs) or like what happened definitely did not tell them that I was going to leave I became very quiet that day very reserved Mm -hmm. and just like thinking through everything knowing that this may be the last time I ever talked to them um Mm -hmm. because you don't know what they're going to do after you leave. Mm-hmm. And so I waited until that night. Um, and my brother-in-law actually started to get worried because he knew that he said some things to me that he shouldn't have. And I think he felt like he really hurt me. And I knew that that's what he was thinking because yeah. I got really quiet and wouldn't talk to him. And it wasn't because of what he said to me. It was because I knew I was leaving. And mm-hmm. part of me was like, He's totally going to think that it's because of what he said. And I want him to feel that. <laughs> I was like, well, in my heart, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, spite, right? Um, <laughs> so anyway, I waited until they went to bed. And mm-hmm. then I, and I went upstairs as if I was going to bed. Um, and instead of waiting for them to like, think that they're going to be asleep and just walk downstairs pretending like I forgot something or needed to go, you know, outside to the bathroom because they don't have indoor bathrooms. Um, Mm -hmm. I, 
I left a little note for them and just said, this is my decision. I need to leave. has nothing to do with you guys, but I'm leaving. Um, and then I climbed out the window. Wow. So yeah. tell us how that felt, that moment when you're going. You know you're going. How does that feel? You know, I've never really sat down and, like, put myself, like, fully in that moment again. I can't believe that I set what I did on that note, knowing that I there was all these things that I didn't know. Um, looking back and thinking about, I don't know everything that I put on that note, but thinking about what I said on that note, I'm like, where did you learn to think and speak like that? Because I, I said, this has nothing to do with you. This is me making my choice. And I'm leaving, and this is what I have to do. I don't know where that came from. I just said that. That's really interesting. <laughs> Isn't that? Is that? Really interesting. It is, because it, it's something that um, we talk a lot about, our concept of self on this podcast. And, you know, when you leave a group that is so all-encompassing, it's it's sometimes quite hard to sort of find yourself, isn't it? You know, who am I? But I think what you described there is... It's almost like, you know, your your real self coming through. You know, that's that's really who you are. And it, it that's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that I've been uncovering a lot of things. Like, it took me years to actually talk about this um, and yeah. be okay talking about it. Because for years, many years after leaving, I tried to hide who I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much shame and guilt Mm. and fear instilled in you. And there's suppression. The women really get suppressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so you really feel very dumb actually, because you, you start hanging out with people that when you start, some people don't hang out with other people that are not from the community for a long time. Um, and I think that's part of the comfort zone, right? So even yeah, though everybody yeah. left, they still want to hang out with each other. I was always drawn to, I want to hang out with people that didn't come from the community because I wanted to learn what else, what else do I need to learn for one. And I wanted to learn more about what this life is outside of the community. But within that, um, and that was curiosity. Like I was always curious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that taught me a lot. But um, within that and, and, you know, aligning myself with people that were not from the community, I also started to realize, wow, like even the English vocabulary, um, people would be talking about something and use words I had no clue what meant. And I would just pretend like I knew what they meant so that I could be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I was doing it at the time until years later when I started to uncover a lot of these things, I realized like I was doing that to protect myself mm-hmm. because I didn't want to look like I was dumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's that's completely understandable isn't it and um yeah it's it's quite it's quite a process isn't it of uh of integrating yourself into this this world i mean we we were taught to be no part of the world so although we would we we weren't um i guess as extreme in terms of modern equipment and uh, technology and stuff we very much were encouraged to stay separate so you know things that other people did we just simply didn't do so yeah there's a long period of learning to uh to uh, we call it sense making making sense of the world after you leave you know that's what this podcast is all about really so you know that's mm-hmm. that's completely understandable um one of the things Celine you you mentioned in in your questions and mm-hmm. is it okay if I if I sort of broach yeah. this which was um so I struggled for quite a long time to decide what sort of organization I belong to. And um, I, I sort of didn't call it a cult. I didn't want to call it that. Um, but over the years, I've, I've come to identify, you know, a lot of the practices, this separation and the 
uh, the shunning if you're not part of it, you know, in, in some situations and those sorts of things are, are very cultic. Um, I, I tend to use the term high control group or coercively controlling group. How do you describe that experience that you had? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, they definitely have cult-like um, living, I guess you would call it. Um, and then high control, very, very high controlled because um, your life, like the things, some of the things that we went through from the way that the the church and the, the preachers and the bishop like treated us, it's like, I look back at it now, it, it's abuse. Like it's a hundred percent abuse the way that they treated us. And then, you know, my dad died when I was 15. So it was just my mom with 19 kids and she went through hell with some of the members of the church. Um, you know, if, if the kids did something, if the kids did something that, and they weren't, let's say I was in the member of the church, mm-hmm. I disobeyed the rules. The preachers would come to the house, talk to my mom, and one of them, they had the audacity to say to my mom, you know, if dad wasn't here, this wouldn't be happening. And my mom just lost it because she's already feeling like a failure. And then, like, my mom is a saint. Mm-hmm. I love my mom. She's, I've recently learned that I've always done things to protect her. Mm-hmm. And it took me. I think a couple years for her to come around after I left, you know, she, she always told me, you know, it's my, it's her fault. Mm -hmm. And I always told her it has nothing to do with you. It was never anything about with, about you. The reason that I left and she had to come to a realization that that was not the reason and why why i left and i have three other siblings that left um but like i said it probably took her about two years to come around yeah and one one time um she uh i waited six months to go see her and i still to this day remember her face when i walked up to the door and she had this immense sense of relief that i came to see her with the biggest smile because something happened within those six months that my brother-in-law who's married to my twin, I would go see her and he said, um, I, I'm never welcome to come to their place again. And I'm the type of person where I'm like, if you don't want me here, I just, that's fine. I'll just move on. And I, you know, had, we had a, an argument, like my twin wouldn't speak up because they're suppressed, right? So as mm-hmm. an Amish woman, like you don't speak up, but she's sitting on the rocking chair holding a little baby. And mm-hmm. well, his whole reason for me not coming by anymore is he didn't want his kids to see me because mm-hmm. that would maybe lead them to believe like, oh, I can leave too. Sure. Um, but she's, he's telling me, like, you can't ever, you're not welcome here. I don't want my kids to see her. And my sister, my twin, who we used to be really close, you know, she's just head down. And I can see, like, she just has all these emotions that that she's not releasing, but she's mm-hmm. so hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, my brother-in-law was like, so um, do you think if Jesus was walking on on?" the earth right now that he would be driving a car and i was like well i don't know but i can guarantee you that he wouldn't be driving in a horse and bucky (laughs) so we had this little like argument and my mom found out and she was so devastated she took my side on it because she was Mm -hmm. like she didn't want things to happen where we would never come to see her again Yeah. yeah and She's, I know that she's proud of us now. Like it took her a while, 
Um, and I asked her one time after I left, I asked her, I said, Mom, do you still think that only Amish people go to heaven? And mm-hmm. she was like, well, I can't answer that because if the church members would find out what I would say, you know, she would probably get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you don't have to tell me anything else. Like, I know what you believe now. Sure. Like, I don't. Yeah. And so... Um, I know that she's proud of us and I know that she's happy mm-hmm. for us and she's come a very long way. Maybe one day she'll actually leave. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, I, I, I recognize all that so much. Um, obviously not, not in the degree that you've gone through it, but the, you know, I think even now, you know, I, I want my parents to be proud of me uh, and I'm a 54 year old man, you know? Yep. Um, but um, I think you, you kind of, you always want that. And, um, that's one of the hard bits, you know, because it, you, you had this life that was expected of you and, and you've decided to do something different and yeah, you just want to be respected and loved for who you are, don't you? That's, that's, that's really what you want. So I, I totally understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really, um, that's, thank you for sharing that. I didn't realize yeah. that was, um, obviously going to hit so hard but i really appreciate you you talking mm-hmm. about that uh, you talked about the way that women are, are treated um within the the group i mean that you've already kind of explained that to some degree um so in in my background there was this principle of of subjection so you had women have to be in subjection to their husbands and uh, in submission to their husbands mm-hmm. and to the congregation is that the same sort of um, arrangement yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, there's a lot of things that I didn't know at the time, but since talking with other people and like actually like talking about this and my experience, um, I I realized that there's a lot of things that the guys get away with that the women yeah. don't, mm-hmm. right? And so some of the rules that they make, you're like, that's completely sexist. Like, why would a guy, why are the guys allowed to do this and the women aren't? Mm -hmm. Who came up with that rule? Um, (laughs) Yes, 100%. It's all the guys making the rules within the church. Mm -hmm. And they made the rules on how the women are allowed to dress. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's very much all all guy driven. Mm -hmm. And I'm specifically talking about my order. I can't speak for, you know, old order, new order. You know, we've had people on my Instagram come out and say, that's not true and you're lying. And and it's typically people that are coming from a different order and not not either not doing their homework or and and realizing like this is from a different order um, or, you know, maybe it feels like a personal attack. Like some mm-hmm. people, the way they come out defending it feels like a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that's right. Um, you know, sometimes I see people arguing about, you know, that, well, uh, I know somebody and they don't. Do, I know a Jehovah's Witness and they don't do that. And so, yeah, you're always going to be able to find um, exceptions, and not everybody follows things in the way they should. But often, we are talking about the 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 way that. Um, that the the organization tells the people to behave and that's what we're talking about yeah um so not everybody follows that yeah 100 percent. um i know you said it took you time for a while to want to talk about your experience what made you want to talk about it um mm. like on instagram after a while so um yeah what what made you sort of want to do that versus sort of not talking about it at all really I think I was in that place to talk about it for a while before I even started. Um, And in the last year, I've done lots and lots of personal growth and Mm -hmm. um, emotional healing uh, of things that I didn't even know that I needed to heal from. But allowing myself to go there has allowed me to really embrace who I am and what I'm here to do. and it actually all started by just like one reel that I did that went mm-hmm. ended up going viral. And mm-hmm. that kind of like was the gateway of like, oh, like people 
really want to hear about this. And had I done that two years ago, I wouldn't have been ready to, to continue talking about it. Right. Cause I wasn't in a, in an emotional space to, to allow myself to feel all the things. Um, but because I've done so much personal healing development, um, and got into a mental space where I was like, this is who I am and this is my story and I'm here to share. Um, I realized after I started sharing that it's actually bringing a lot of hope to people all around the world with similar experiences, whether or not they grew up Amish. I mean, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, I didn't grow up Amish, but I so resonate with what you're talking about. And, you know, people say, I hope that one day I can get to a place where you're at. Mm -hmm. Like you seem really happy and, you know, comfortable or confident in like what you're sharing and where you're Mm -hmm. at. And I, I want to be there. And so my, what leads me to this is like my coaching that I do mm-hmm. isn't just about health and nutrition. It's a transformation that goes much deeper than that. Um, I actually coach a lot of ex people as like a lot of people like resonate with that. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, like they, we have similar experiences. And so um, they, they come to me for that. But I think one day there's going to be more that's, mm-hmm more of a um, personal development coaching where it's not even touching on the the health part of it but it's more Mm -hmm. or less like how do you get yourself from from where you were and you leave and then how do you transition from that to Mm -hmm. coming to this place where you're okay with your story and embracing like your story because we all have a story right everybody has a story we're all placed in this space um, to then, you know, grow and transform into the person that we're meant to be and do. Um, and so it takes a lot of work, but you have to allow yourself to to go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's that's there is an increasing movement um, amongst people who have had experiences like yours and similar ones, if not, you know, the same. Um, if you have a look on social media, you know, you'll see lots of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, young women, young men, older people as well, um, ex-Mormons, ex, um, uh, all sorts of, of groups. And um, whilst they're all different, they have, you know, different uh, philosophies to a degree and doctrines that there's there's so many similarities. It's It's really interesting to see. So, yeah, there is a community out there. Um, and I think it is. It is really helpful. Um, I mean, one of the big things on our podcast, you know, when you leave, actually, you can achieve things. You can be who you want to be. So we really want to know about you and, and how, you know, what your life is like now as, as somebody who has left that organization and, and w- what you're doing now. And, and uh, tell us mm-hmm. about about your life now. Yes, absolutely. Um so after I left, I had I actually had to go get my high school diploma because I only had an eighth grade education. So there's a lot of steps, things that you have to do in order to like get where I'm at. And sometimes when I look back, I'm like, hey, that's crazy. Um, but well, first of all, I had to get a social security first because they don't have social oh, securities. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I had to get a social security in order to get paid not under the table um (laughs) for for a job um and then it probably took me about i want to say it was two or three years before i actually wanted to get my high school diploma Mm -hmm. um so i got that and then um i i actually got married before i did any other education Mm -hmm. um so that because i was working full-time like two jobs supporting myself and so I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to go to school and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't continue on with the education piece until after I was married, 
went to uh, training school first and started working as a, as a trainer. And then after that, went to school again and became a certified health coach. Um, so you just take a lot of these steps and you're doing it all on your own, right? Well, mm-hmm. n- like as far as like family support, there's no like sure. family support with that. Like whatever, everything that I've done from the time I left to where I'm now, it's like I've supported myself financially other than my husband helped me after we were married, but I wasn't, you know, relying on someone else, parents or anybody like that to like help me get through it. It's all just doing it and making it happen on your own. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that have happened. It's been, oh gosh, 20 years, almost 20. Yeah. I think around 20 years since I left. So, you know, when you, when you think about if you're just leaving or in the first five years of leaving, like don't compare yourself, your life there to like where I am now. Like I've had all these years and I'm not done. Like I, I'm actually in school again for something. Like I'm not done. I'm going to keep going. Um, And so you, you have to take it one step at a time and yeah. just continue building, continue growing, continue progressing if you want a better life. And um, so we live in Arizona now. I'm married. We have a three-year-old kiddo. And um, I do full-time online health coaching. Um, right. It's really fun. Awesome. Brilliant. Yeah, that's that's really great and so positive as well for like anyone that's listening that's yeah like you said at the start um and it can feel kind of big and scary it's it's always great to yeah like have guests on and talking about like yeah it's big and scary but it's also really exhilarating and exciting and and there's yeah a big wide world of opportunity as well a hundred percent I think what you said there, Lizzie, is is great. It's you know that because um, it do, it can seem daunting, but you're taking one step at a time. You're mm-hmm. you're um, you're, you're saying right, this is the next thing I'm going to do. This is the next thing I'm going to do. And yeah, you might have a a dream that you want to achieve one day, but you you know you're doing it little by little. And and yeah, twenty years seems to be the. Thing. I mean, I, I'm the same. It's just um, that's slightly more than twenty years now. But mm-hmm. yeah, it takes a long time, doesn't it, to get to a place where you can really start to make sense of all of that and the time that has has elapsed between leaving and and thinking about it somehow it really needs that um i i don't know whether i'm sure some people have managed you know some people managed to do it quicker but for me it, it took that time i think it depends on how you grew up and what you have to work through um yeah. there's you know if there's trauma and you know abuse and that kind of stuff Mm. to like work through and I've mentored a couple girls that have left and just really had to work through that idea of separation from the family and Mm. the fact that I'm probably my family's not going to accept me for who I am and that was really, really difficult for them to understand is like, mm-hmm. I just want the acceptance of my family. And in doing so, they weren't allowing people outside of the community that want to be, you know, part of, want to have them in their life as family. Mm-hmm. It, they were rejecting that mm-hmm. because that wasn't their quote unquote family, right? Sure. And so... Yeah you know, what I always say is like, you can, you can create any family you want, right? These people that are, they might not be your biological family, but they want to help you and be in your life. Um, and so you have to allow other people to come in. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is like, you have to also understand that they only know one way, right? Mm-hmm. So they know the way that they grew up in. And, we have the pleasure of understanding such a broader viewpoint of the world and life than, than they do because they haven't escaped that box, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have 
the viewpoint of, okay, this is how I grew up and this is how they think. I've been exposed to this over here. That's right. Yeah. And I can't hold them accountable for how they're mm. feeling, right? Yeah. They have every right to that because that's all they know. Yeah. Um, and so I think until you can get to a place where you realize, like, I can love my family, but even though, like, they may never accept me for who I am, hmm. right? And that's a really yeah. tough cookie. Like, that's, that's yeah. a tough one to swallow if you, like you said, like, wanting that acceptance. We all want to yeah. be accepted, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a hard one. Yeah, it is. It is. But I think you've um, you set such a fantastic example there. I mean, that's just been wonderful listening mm-hmm. to your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's just yeah. so interesting. So, um, I mean, it's one of those, uh, it's a group that I, I didn't really know very much about. I think mm-hmm. um, I'd seen, you know, the odd film portrayed with... Um, Amish people or a bit you know and I'm sure that's not very accurate but that's pretty mm-hmm. much all all that you know you, you get exposed to really um, and yeah. I, I did I did hear that um everybody that's outside of the group is called English is that is that right is that just yes. uh so that's mm-hmm. obviously we're, we're from England so um that sounds yes. strange mm-hmm. to us so everybody's yeah. English right okay yeah I yeah. don't say that anymore because I'm like that's not accurate but like <laughs> we, we'd be yeah. like oh our English neighbors or sure. you know <laughs> but so I know that that's not so what do what, what do you call it non-Amish people I don't know <laughs> I'm like <laughs> okay what term do I use yeah yeah that's cool it's Mm-hmm. cool awesome. Celine what else is that is that everything well I think we've kind of blasted through <laughs> questions I think we've done that was so well. interesting that was yeah. really really interesting I really appreciate that that's that's yeah, brilliant that's really really interesting thank you mm. thank you I'm sure our listeners will be really interested in that um you know mo- a lot of our listeners are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses um and other mm-hmm. groups I think as we get more listeners we we yeah. definitely want to expand our our listenership but um mm-hmm. I think that you know there will be so much that that people recognize in that it's really really interesting yeah. again it's it's like there's a lot of there are obviously key differences but then there's so many things mm. that like if you just caught a bit in the middle you could apply to mm. any group you know that and, yeah. and oh and yeah story you know yeah, yeah. i'm very close I've... friends with uh with some people that are from the mormon church and mm. it's like yeah mm-hmm. we have a lot in common yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah. have you ever done any sort of reading into um some of the literature around high control groups and and so on it's 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 quite interesting to do that i you know um there's 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 quite a lot of work around um like groups either political groups or religious groups or Mm -hmm. all sorts of different groups that have these high control dimensions to them it's it's very interesting stuff yeah, I haven't personally like dug into that. Mm. Um, but I out of curiosity, I probably yeah. would just to be because I the film that I watched, I I didn't even know there was something like that out there. But mm-hmm. that was really interesting to me because it was like, okay, this is really where it started. And mm. sort of like or and and like their reason behind it. What's interesting mm. though is the guy that started it he later on went back and was like, this isn't okay. I don't want to do this anymore, but they oh, really? had already gone. Yeah. Like they had already gone so far that the people mm-hmm. that had separated and went to mm-hmm. Amish direction were like, Nope, this is where we're going. We're going to continue going here. So he changed his mind later on. Which is really interesting. interesting. It, yeah. I mean, these groups have a, have a way of growing into something else. I mean, um, Jehovah's witnesses was sort of branched from a group called Bible students um, a, a guy called Charles Taze Russell set it up in the 1800s, um, but it was really around the 1930s when um, this other president, the second president of the society called Joseph Rutherford, kind of took them in a completely different different direction. 
but you you know you get a certain amount of information from the organization about the history but it's all very tailored you know it's all very uh, so you you don't really get the full picture until you leave and then you start learning all about oh right that was interesting <laughs> oh yes mm. i've had a lot of people say that the amish have it right i want to go amish like that's the way you should be doing it and i'm like mm. You only see and hear what you want to see and hear. There, I recently told someone, I was like, don't be fooled about what goes on behind those black curtains. Like you, because they were telling me what you're saying just seems so negative and it's not my experience. I live around these people. Sure. And I said, yeah. I, I'm, I'm 100% sure that that's your experience because that's yeah. what most people's experiences. But, mm. you know, that's not the whole story. No, and it and it um, it also goes to this question of how much to respect and protect a community that is a is a minority, um, mm -hmm. and you know obviously the the belief that everybody's got a right to their own beliefs, we want to protect that, compared to individual people's rights who find themselves in an organisation and a situation that actually they don't like but can't get out, and I think that's a really difficult balance, isn't it? Yes, it's a very difficult balance. And also, <clears throat> there are things that I understand wanting the privacy, and they're like protecting themselves. But there are yeah. things that go on in, in there's a lot of abuse, like molesting, yeah. sexual abuse, emotional abuse, like all of those things that if those things come about, like they don't want the outside society to be a part of it. Um, yes there's some exposure happening on some of the abuse that's going on now mm -hmm. because of brave people that are like, I, you know, we're bringing this to light, but most of the time they just bury it within the church and yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. Like it's not okay. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you very much, Lizzie. It's been really, really interesting and, you know, completely, like we've said, I mean, completely different, but also echoes a lot of things that we've um, and different guests have been on before so it's always like it's, it's interesting isn't it <laughs> but yeah thank you very much thank you yeah so much. absolutely so interesting yeah thank you and thank you for letting me come on and share my story and just talk about it it's really rewarding for me absolutely our pleasure um well if you want to we're more than happy to um direct people to your uh website or if people are interested in in your your fitness coaching or if they want to mm -hmm. um, learn a bit more about your story then just let us know any links and we'll put the, those on the show notes for anybody to, uh, to follow that okay. in. I will thank you thank you very much okay. thank you what should I think about is an evil sheep production